0: Welcome to the psychosphere. My name is David Sutcliffe. Sutcliffe. It's hard to say my name. It's, a, it's two hard consonants. Tick, tick. Sutcliffe. It's hard, it's hard when it's hard to say your own name. My name is David Sutcliffe, and my guest today is Bob Wheeler. That's easy to say. Lucky Bob. Bob Wheeler. Bob is my dad's name. Bob is a really interesting guy. He is an accountant. That doesn't sound interesting necessarily. However, he's also a stand-up comedian, successful one, a good one. And he is a energetics slash radical aliveness practitioner, just like me. We went to the same school. Uh, so really fascinating guy. And uh, just reading from his bio here, Bob explores his Personal concept of creating a healthy relationship with money in his book *The Money Nerve*, navigating the emotions of money. His online course *Mastering the Emotions of Money* and his podcast *Money You Should Ask*. Uh, we don't really talk about money in this podcast a little bit, but it is a fascinating conversation with a fascinating guy and a funny guy. So I please, so I, so I please, please enjoy my conversation with the great Bob Wheeler. Texas is phenomenal, man. I I love Texas. It's free. We're free here, Bob.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You're not in lockdown again. We're back on mask mandates. Fucking sucks.
0: Are you really? How do you feel about that?
1: It's annoying. And here's the funny thing. It starts tonight at 12.59 p.m. So the virus... Hasn't been doing anything for the last three days since they've announced this, but on twelve fifty nine the virus is gonna get fucking wacky, uh, and we got to put the mask. What on. is it
0: about? What is it about? There's some I weird do. shit going. It's just about control. I mean, I I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm skeptical that they care that they give a fuck.
1: Yeah, I a lot of it's politics. I feel it's mm-hmm. it's pretty. Yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, I appreciate that we want to keep people safe. And then I appreciate people wanting to have their freedoms and who knows what the F, you know, who knows?
0: Yeah. Uh, Texas is it's very hot, but, you know, Southern California is hot, too. It's a different kind of heat. It's a little more humid, I guess. Yeah, there are uh, there's trees in Austin and there's water. It's oh, that's a, cool. Th- there's actually a lot of water features, like natural water pools and lakes and stuff. That, uh, when I discovered that, it, it changed everything because it's very uh, stark here a little bit, a little arid, yep. a little uh, West Texas. There's just nothing coming across from El Paso yeah. to Austin was a, a little disturbing. Yeah. It's eight <laughs> it's, hours of fucking
1: nothing. It's pretty barren. It's pretty barren.
0: You've done that drive? <laughs> Have you seen that?
1: Yep. 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 Yep.
0: And coming from California where it's just, and especially for me having just come from Idlewild, I was just surrounded by so much natural beauty. Uh, yeah. it was, you know, it was tough, but <laughs> now, uh, I'm into it. Uh, I, I, I'm starting to tune into the the vibe here, the natural beauty. There is a lot of natural beauty here. It's, it doesn't compare to Southern California. A few things do, but I, I am enjoying it. The people here are great. they're very warm and welcoming and you know a lot of people are moving to Austin a lot of people are moving to Texas and they're very proud of that. They feel proud of their city and there's a there's a vibe here there's a movement here. I just started this men's uh, workout thing and the energy there was just off the charts and uh, it, there's something happening here in Austin and it's exciting to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's great, and uh, and you don't pay state tax, even better.
0: Yes, <laughs> even better. Even so better. speaking of taxes, Bob, you are an accountant. Uh, yeah, you are a comedian. <laughs> yeah, and you're a core energetics practitioner. What a, what a yeah. combination of things. Which are you best at? Would you hmm. say?
1: Wow, uh, gosh, I think equally terrible at all of them. No, I, uh, yeah, no, I enjoy all of them. I feel, I feel uh, skilled in all of those areas. Uh, you know, I, I never wanted to be an accountant, but it was just something that came natural and like, cause it's natural for everybody, right? Two plus two is four. It's fun.
0: And uh, but you like numbers. There's something about, what is it about accounting? There's something, I mean, I know when I do my own taxes and, and books, There is something satisfying about putting things in order.
1: Yeah, I think for me, because of my probably chaotic uh, background, childhood, all that good stuff, uh, it was safe. You know, it's a system that works. Two plus two is four. If you're out of balance, it's your fault, right? It's it's human error, and it's a very logical system. And so in the beginning, I liked it just because I knew – if I got my numbers right, I, it was correct. Uh, right. so there was safety in that. Then later on, of course, then once you know the rules, then you learn how to push them and work around them. But I think for a lot of accountants, they like to stay inside the box and feel very safe. I felt safe and started pushing the box, but, uh, yeah, it's there's safety
0: and comfort. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting uh, psychological uh, examination of that that process of uh, that, that you, it's interesting you say that you had chaos in your childhood and somehow uh, putting numbers in order uh, gave you a feeling of of safety.
1: Well, yeah, and I originally thought, well, if I go into accounting, I don't have to actually talk to people. <laughs> like oh, was- really. I was like, I don't want to talk to people. It's too stressful. Uh, believe it or not, even though I, I, I fake a good conversation, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, was, I thought, yeah, this'll be it. I'll just completely isolate. Uh,
0: Are you which, naturally shy person?
1: Um, I think until I get to know people, um, mm-hmm. if I know people, I'm totally comfortable, but yeah, initially meeting people, I'm assessing, I'm being very cautious. Um, I need a couple of people that I know to ground me and then I'm like a terror, but, uh,
0: do you, yeah. is that, do you have a sense of where that comes from or is that just part of your personality?
1: Um, you know, I think as a, as a kid, we were, um, uh, you know, we were sort of props. We were supposed to present well. Um, mm. and I think there was just pressure always is, this pressure of always like, how am I going to show up? So it was just easier not to have to show up and do it right. Um, uh, because I never knew what right was.
0: And what led you into comedy and when?
1: Well, you know, I, as a kid, I was always using humor as a way to diffuse situations uh, and I was a quick runner, so I could make a joke and run. And uh, I didn't get, you know, didn't get in too many fights. uh, And, you know, people just like, Oh, you're funny. You're funny. You're funny. And I, I, you know, the way I tell stories and stuff. And so I realized sitting in an accounting office in the back, probably nobody's going to see much of your comedy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I, started uh started doing sketch comedy and started performing and fortunately uh it went well it was well received so
0: where where did you start doing that i started that
1: um i well i started doing sketch at (laughs) acme comedy theater in hollywood that was uh gosh that was in the the 80s i you know i think when i was in high school i was doing some of that uh uh not theater, but improv and stuff like that. In some of my uh, some of my classes in high school. But then when I got to college, I didn't want to have anything to do with creativity. I decided, you know, artists don't make money, doesn't pay. I don't want anything because my mom was an artist, uh, not a not a financially successful artist. And I thought, F this, I was actually going to be a music major. And I just went, uh-uh, I want money. <laughs> I'm tired of being poor. Um, and so I just sort of suppressed the arts for a while, but I don't think you can really suppress creativity forever. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and so comedy for me was just a way to start to, uh, say things on stage and then just go kidding, kidding, even though maybe in real life, I wouldn't say you're an asshole, but on stage I could go, you're an asshole. Just kidding. Not really, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. The con it gives permission. So you gives permission. you, You, um, you started in sketch comedy, which is is one thing because you're yeah. performing and, and there's improvisation. But stand-up, I, I would imagine, is a whole other thing because it's just you alone with a microphone and you've got to figure out a way to get that audience.
1: Yeah, well, here's the thing. With sketch, it was great because if a scene didn't go well, you could blame the other actors, Exactly, right? It wasn't me. <laughs> I did great, they were terrible. Uh, stand-up, man. You uh, live or die by the sword, right? It's you. But for me, the thing is, what's great about comedy is you don't have to be logical. You just have to be funny, right? So I don't have to make sense. Like I could be talking about something and people are looking at me going, "Like you're crazy." I can just switch to a completely different topic. I don't have to be, you know, like a speaker has to get up and here's what I'm going to talk about. are going to be, and then we're going to go through this, and at the end I'm going to recap. In comedy. You get to be in the moment and you get to jump around and play. And even if you don't, you know, there are a couple of times I have a couple of jokes that took a while to get to. And when I first told them, people were like, we hate you. You should die. And I thought, thought, Oh, at least I have something that generates a response. So then how do I find to make it funny? Right? So even though I was getting anger, I knew I was onto something.
0: That's interesting. Was it scary the first time you went up and did it or did you have confidence that you could make people laugh?
1: It was, it was a little scary. You know, one of the things that I did do, um, was I always took a friend with me, um, so that if I bombed, at least when I got off stage, I'd have a friend that said, yeah, I still like you because <laughs> it's pretty lonely, but yeah, I did. I mean, initially I was going by myself cause I didn't want anybody to see me bomb. Uh, but fortunately for the first year, it was, it was, it was well received. And then I was in this competition, uh, where they told us to be like Disney clean. And so I had my little three minutes of Disney at this big freaking casino on a stage where it was completely dark. You couldn't see the audience. So a different venue mm-hmm. for me. And everybody else was doing blue material and I was the last comic. So I followed all these people that were like throwing the F-bombs, doing all this stuff. And I'm like, Disney light. I come out and they're like, we hate you. And it felt like a 20 minute uh, death march. Um, and for about six months after that, I was not funny. I could get up tell my jokes. People would just go, go home. And, but I just kept getting up because I knew that you had to keep getting up.
0: What is, uh, what is, what is it? Like, what is there, is it some magic that comes out of you? Some relaxation that you can tell the same jokes night after night. And sometimes they're funny and sometimes they're not.
1: Yeah. I think sometimes it's just an energy. I don't. Think it's always the audience's fault? Mostly, it's not the audience's fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just there to have a good time. Um, yeah, I think you come in sometimes. If I'm in a, if I'm in a place where, oh my god, they're going to hate me. I've got it. That guy before me was really amazing. Holy crap! Um, you can work yourself into uh, defeat. But for the most part, I just always approached it with, I don't know what works. I'm just going to go out and have fun. Uh, usually, walk out if somebody was amazing. I'd go, oh my god, they were amazing. Let's lower the expectation because it's my turn. So just bring it down real low. And, you know, so we just sort of try to set those parameters where that it worked really well most of the time. And uh, but yeah, that time was really painful. I just kept getting up and I had a friend and she was like, look, you got to keep going. Got to keep going. And I went to this coffee house. There were like 10 people, mostly comics. I got up, started doing my stuff and people thought I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, I could have recited the alphabet. and People were like, that's brilliant. He said B. Oh my God. That's amazing. Um, and then I was
0: like, Oh, I'm back. Cool. Wow. How do you come up with your material? How do you, what's your process?
1: Well, sometimes I'll say something out loud with friends and they'll say, geez, that's funny. Uh, and I'm like, Let me write that down. Uh, So I, 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 and I also very observational. So like I'm very, I think comics halfway live in the world and halfway live out of the world. Right. Right. And so you know I'm notice. uh, I'm at the grocery store. I'm watching people to see if they have ten items or less. I'm watching people to see who's breaking the rules, so I can be self righteous and and condescending. And so I'm always watching that. And then I bring that to the stage and just say, look. I'm very judgmental like, and here's what I notice, And, um, I'm above all of you. And so just observing and watching things, not fully being there, but also just, Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. What's right. funny about that. Right. And I have a twisted sense of humor. I think most <clears throat> comics do.
0: There's always a part of your brain, I guess, is, is what you're saying is that's, that's looking at the world through the lens of gathering material. Yeah. Yeah. And just
1: looking for the humor. Like, I'm always looking for the
0: humor. What, you know? an itch- what an interesting way to go through life to always be looking for the humor that must uh, do something for you. Like, that that feels like a, a good thing.
1: Well, it feels great for me. Sometimes my friends are like, could you just turn it off for 10 fricking minutes? Like, shut up. Like, it just doesn't stop. It's not something that I go, oh, I will stop thinking of things uh-huh. funny. I'm just constantly looking for a way that everybody else isn't looking at it. You know, I can be at a funeral. I can be anywhere and just really be, oh, my God, this is hilarious.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah, I have this feeling that comics are completely underappreciated in terms of their social value. I mean, I know we talk about comics a lot, but really um, the deep truths that we have to confront or they usually come from comics first because there's a way that the comedy softens the blow of the truth and gives access to it. So that I I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I have a tremendous amount of respect for comedians and the work they do and the impact they have on society. Well, look, comics
1: are probably the most messed up of all the entertainers. I mean, right? Like they are, but I think from their pain, they find the humor and even not the famous ones. There's so many brilliant comics out there that people will never know that are just so brilliant. And uh, it comes from pain. It's such pain and comedy are just like centimeters apart.
0: And that's, I guess that's true for you.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That you took the pain that you had in your life and- Found a way to to make it funny or... yeah
1: I, absolutely i i mean look i used to do i used to work with uh, gary austin who founded the ground lanes a lot of people from saturday night live came from there um snl and we, we would do he would do these sketches i was in a group with about 30 people and i was fortunate enough i was one of about eight people that he constantly put up uh to do just these scenes and he would set up these family scenes and we all had these little roles and we would be goofing and goofing, and there would be a couple times somebody would take it slightly dark, and the next thing, all of a sudden, we're on this train to, oh my god, where is this going? And like right. the tears are, real we're like, holy sh- <laughs> Oh, okay, whoa, whoa, that was that was too real. Um, and it would get deep and dark, but uh, then we'd get back to the laughter. But yeah, wow, sometimes that's like,
0: interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like you have to go there to. Feel that or understand it, yeah. Then to come back, yeah. Wow, is it cathartic comedy for you?
1: Oh, it's amazing. It's the best. It's the best drug. When you're in front of 500 people and everybody's laughing, it's amazing. Of course, if nobody's laughing, it's very painful. But right. uh, um, but the laughter, man, it's like it's it's probably the best high. It's incredible. But I think for comics, the hard part is then you walk off the stage. And you're not that magical center of attention, mm-hmm. you know. Like Robin Williams, he's this brilliant, brilliant, and then he walks off the stage and he goes home to his or he goes to his hotel, and all of the accolades, all of the the energy that's that's coming from his performance, is no longer there. And then it's like, oh, you can go easily into a deep depression.
0: Yeah, that's got to be a great feeling.
1: Ah, uh, it's the best. I,
0: I I know I've experienced it to some degree, having done sitcoms in front of a live studio audience and theater comedy where you feel like you have, well, you know when the audience is with you and there's yeah. a, a kind of a timing and you're taking them on a little journey and uh, yeah, it's, it's deeply gratifying, but, but to communicate with them directly yeah, through storytelling and feeling them. And then probably you're making little adjustments in the timing and the languaging each yeah. night, uh, depending on the audience and just, yeah, that feeling of having them on a tether yeah, and having people laugh. Oh my God.
1: Well, it's great. And you never know what's going to happen in the moment, right? You don't right. know what's going to happen right before you go up. Something could happen. I've had the mic go out of me right as I go up or, uh, you know, some crazy drunk lady right before I go up, jumps up and throws a glass across the room and, Oh, and here's Bob. Right. So then you have to react to that in those moments. And, you know, one of my teachers used to always say, call the room, call the room, Uh, name the obvious. I see. So instead of not pretending. So like with the drunk lady, this lady gets up, starts screaming, throws a glass, walks out of the club and everybody's just like, what just freaking happened? You know, Mm. here comes Bob. And I, that's my mom, give it up for her. She comes to my shows, but she never stays. Oh, she's a drunk. Give it right. up. Right. And then everybody's like, oh, thank God. Thank you. Well,
0: it's kind of the same as facilitating. We can yeah. get into the genetics Radical liveness because you have to stay absolutely in the moment. You have to name yeah. what's going on. You can't pretend that uh, it's something other than what it is or you're going to lose the group. Yeah. This is a similar, it's obviously it's a different intention or yeah, maybe not, maybe not. Maybe, maybe comedy is, is healing, but, but you're taking, you're taking people on a ride. You're trying, you're trying to, uh, and I think this is true of comedy to reveal deeper levels of truth. Yeah. It's really interesting. How are you practicing as a, a genetics practitioner? How, I am.
1: I am uh, not doing live workshops at the moment, hoping to get that right. back going again. Um, and I'm doing a money and vision group and I work with people individually. And, I, I, you know, right now, a lot of it's been Zoom, which is yeah great, but it's not the same. I mean, one of the things like you were talking about, it is like comedy in that you go to those places. The thing is, the impact's even deeper. Like If you're following your impulse, like I know in some groups we've gone really dark and it's been really healing and you have to trust yourself to go fully and, and really trust your, your, your intuition. And it's, it can, it's, it can be a little scary if you're not fully trusting yourself. And, uh, I've gotten much, you know, I think when I first started doing it, I thought, Oh, what if I F this up and what, uh, now I'm much more trusting, and I know sometimes that there's actually four or five different options, and all are going to lead us to the right same door. And it's not exact; it doesn't matter if you used, you know, if you rode the horse or took a car, you're still getting there.
0: I remember your first workshop. <laughs> I think it was a sexuality workshop. It if was I'm not mistaken. You're it correct. The largest workshop I've ever been in with Ann, I think there was 40 plus people there. Yeah. Usually her workshops are, you know, maybe 20, 25, sometimes 30, but this was crazy. And uh, you were there. I remember you were wearing an orange, I think it was an orange uh, golf shirt. Yeah. Tennessee orange. Yeah. And Tennessee orange. Yeah. And you were terrified. Terrified. and But also... Very curious. Yeah. You were present, as present as you could be. Yeah. What what was it about the workshop? Like what, what drew you to this work?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. When I first met with Anne, I called her and I, was, I said, listen, I've done all these different things. I still don't feel like, I feel like I'm still looking at the world from the outside and I'm, I don't know how to get past it. And she said, oh, we have this great community. You should come to Radical Aliveness, learn about core energetics. It's all going to be amazing. And you're going to have friends. This is going to be beautiful. And I looked at her and I said, you're full of shit.
0: <laughs> Where did you meet Ann? When did, was this conversation?
1: I met her over at the airport location, uh, one-on-one. Uh, I just called her up. My therapist had recommended that I connect with her. I see. And so I called her up, Deborah Starr. And I, you know, I met with her and i just looked at her i thought you're full of it thank you so much have a great life and i walked out and then about a year later i thought okay something's got to give i got to figure something out because life doesn't feel good and uh i need to make some choices
0: and what was not feeling good
1: well i just didn't feel like i hadn't found my rhythm i didn't know what my purpose was i didn't feel like i was having any kind of impact Mm. uh and I didn't know if I really mattered. You know, I think there was just going through this whole uh, personal crisis of like, how am I going to show up in the world? Or does even anybody care if I show up in the world? Right. And so I, it, it just like relationships weren't good. I mean, everybody, you know, I had lots of friends, but nothing deep. I just like, I kept like, how do I, how do I fit in? Um, and so when I went back, what was great was I couldn't really deny it because it was literally two blocks from my house. So I couldn't say it was a long drive um, because I could walk it. Um, And I thought, what the heck, you know what? I'm just going to give it a try. A couple of people have said, give it a try. And I went to the workshops and even though they were terrifying and Ann always laughs at me for uh, going in, kicking and screaming, like I will not feel an emotion. Um, You know, I knew there was something to it. Like it really resonated and uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted something more because I knew if I couldn't figure it out, I didn't know that I wanted to be here,
0: really. Mm, mm. Yeah, that was my experience. I, I'd been in therapy before I met Anne, and I'd done a, even a little bit of core energetics with a therapist in Toronto, a great therapist in Toronto named Tom Strutt, and it was with him that I... I had a, my first real breakthrough, meaning I, I cried in therapy. I, 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 wept. <laughs> <What>? I hadn't <laughs> cried in therapy and I'd, yeah. I'd had, I'd, I'd, I'd been a little bit emotional and, but it was more talk and conversation and, and figuring things out and, and things were figured out. But I, I was like, I want to fucking feel, I, I know there's stuff inside me. And so that was the, the first time that stuff started to come through feelings, emotions. And then he got me into, some of the darker feelings, some of the rage. And, but it was really Anne's work up at Esalen where I discovered her, uh, working in a group. Yeah. And being inspired by and impacted by the group and by what other people are doing. And that, that freedom, as you say, to follow your impulse, to trust what's happening, that it's going to take you somewhere. And that there's all this feeling inside us. Yeah. Locked away. Some of it we're vaguely aware of it, of some not at all. And if it's running our lives in some way. Yeah. And if we don't become conscious of it, um, we're not really free. That, that's my philosophy. That's how I think about the work. And that's how I yeah. s- sort of pitch the work to people. Uh, that said, feeling these feelings is fucking scary. Yeah. Oh. Totally scary. Well, you know, what's
1: funny is, and maybe you know the story, but when I did that workshop with you, Mm -hmm. um, where you were assisting and we did this exercise and somebody completely violated my boundaries. Right. And I had a real thing with people would come out and touch me on the back and I'm like, get your hand off. I'm going to punch you in the face. I had a real issue with people touching me um, and hugging anything. I'm like, get away. Uh, (laughs) Um, So somebody completely violated my boundaries. And so I was being squished between these people and I was furious mm. and I went, I went up to you at the end and I'm like, I'm so furious because these people violated my boundaries and I'm like, I'm so enraged. And you said, well, you can always, you can always correct. You can go back and talk to that person and tell them they, that, you know, your boundaries were violated. So I did. And the person was like, well, I guess you should set better boundaries. And then I was like, you must, right? Furious, hated this person. So when I signed up for school, that was the first person that I saw that was actually going to be in my class.
0: And they were like,
1: they're like, hey, Bob. And I'm like, you will die. I hate you. And they were like, oh my God. Um, which began with, and it took me three years to appreciate that person because I had a story that I'm like, I'm nice to everybody, right? But this person right. I, I wanted dead, and I had to actually own the fact. That I wasn't always a nice person. Yeah. That I did hate people. And that I did yeah. have anger. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, the work gives you the freedom to hate. Yeah. You're allowed to hate. Your hatred is welcome. And obviously it's done within a, a container. And right. it, there's right. an intention to, to get past it. But yeah, that was also a big part of it for me. It's like, oh, all this. Because I was a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. And that's like a burden to carry <laughs> sucks. I to finally come in. I mean, I was an asshole for two years. I was just a dick. I was just yeah. cruel and would say things out. And it was, and there was some part of me need to liberate that aspect of my personality. And I did that until, and came up to me at one point and said, is this serving you anymore? Like, I really support what you're doing. I get what you're doing. I mean, she encouraged it until, but then she finally said, is this serving you anymore? And I, I began to let it go and, and and get into the feelings that were underneath it. But um, there are a few spaces where you really can express th- that, th- this kind of shadow energy, the feeling, and and, and and not just talk about it, not just like, oh, I hate you. It's like, no, to feel the feelings, to yeah. in your body, move through your body, like hit and scream and punch and kick it's like, I fucking hate you. I will fucking kill you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, no, mean, a- if you're listening, it, it's like maybe it sounds intense, but it's so beautiful. It's so yeah. beautiful. And when you see somebody in that state, when you see somebody go there, again, with intention and with, you know, boundary, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Because it's their humanity. It's their aliveness coming through.
1: And, you know, the thing I love about group is you're witnessed... And you're called out on your shit. Right. Right. So that when you're in one-on-one therapy, you can tell your therapist anything, you know, I'm the nicest per-. but you're in a group. People are like, I saw your dick move.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, bull- I'm calling bullshit. And yeah. right. So it, it it was a healthy safety container in, in that you're witnessed and you're called out.
0: How did it change you?
1: Well, I think for one, it started helping me get in my body because Mm -hmm. I, I remember one of those first weekend retreats, uh, workshops, uh, we were doing some exercise. And as you probably remember, I hate blindfolds. Um, and I knew what was going to happen because I had led the exercise, put the blindfold on the person, let them around. Then she put the blindfold on me and I went into complete terror, went into an altered state, completely flipping out. The whole, Mm. the whole group was like, what the hell is going on with this guy? And, Anne was like, Oh, terror. Welcome it. It's your friend. Yeah. So I, it opened, it, it connected me with stuff that I didn't even realize. Like I knew on a certain level, but it really helped me to start to get comfortable with it, get to know myself fully and not run from it. And I think what it taught me to do is to be able to stand up, uh, in front of people, not everybody having to like me and be able to tolerate it, like to be able to stay and say, you know what, I'm not going anywhere, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm staying right here, regardless of what comes at me and regardless how uncomfortable it is. And I think in the past I would have just run and hide. Um, mm. And I you know I think there was a certain point, which is interesting, that's very similar to comedy, which I think is where my comedy stalled for a little bit, was at a certain point, people say, you're really, you're, you're funny. And so you don't want to, like, if you get scared, you are like, I don't want to do anything different because this is working. So I don't want to take a chance. And then everybody go, Oh, you weren't that funny because you were brilliant here, but now you're not. And in core, I think I got to a place where I realized people actually did like me and held space for me. And I was in a relationship with people. Then I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't go any further because then they might turn on me if I actually if they see all of me, right? Like if I, I'll just give them eighty percent, but if they see a hundred percent of me, they might turn. And so let me just stay at eighty. Let me dial mm. back. And I think in a lot of places in my life, that's what I was sort of doing, and 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 staying with it helped me push pa- past that, so that I could say, look, this is me. You don't like it, okay. Like I no longer need to say, no, 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 stay. I'll convince you that I'm a good person. I'm like, bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Go in peace.
0: Right. Well, that is, that is the crux of, of the work in some sense. It's like as children, we have no choice but to betray ourselves to leave ourselves in some way or to disassociate hide aspects of ourselves in order that we stay in connection with our caregivers. And we take that paradigm out and, uh, apply it to the world and it just becomes our orientation and so yeah. uh the work is okay can i be all of who i am in the world uh, and tolerate what comes back at me and not give myself away or not hide aspects of me knowing that well you don't know what's going to happen some people right. may leave you're a fucking asshole or some people may come closer that i mean that could also be just yeah. scary is suddenly you're which i think is what happens to people when people give themselves permission to be all of who they are, they become very attractive. Yeah. Even if it's like we said, like they're all the way in there. They give themselves permission to feel their hate or, or they're in their vulnerability. That that's what it was for me. It's still hard for me to believe that I am lovable in the places where I feel weak or helpless or scared it's like, I want to hide that away. I can't, I don't trust that I'm lovable there. So I'm going to right. go into my house and to solve that problem for myself, get my ground and then come back out into the world, right. um, you know, put together. And that of course is a myth and it's a distortion and that that's, I, you know, and I, and I guess I, I why am I saying this? Because I, I saw that what you're saying in you, and I, yeah. I wasn't there through all of your training, but I, I I witnessed your change, yeah, and it was remarkable, yeah, to see how yeah. you came out and the risks you took, and how different you are now than when I met you. And obviously, I met you in a situation, you know, in the workshop where right, know, it, it's it's an extreme situation. We're all we were all you know, terrified in some way in these workshops. So, yeah. but, uh, but now you're on the other side of it. Has it, uh, I, I imagine it's affected your comedy. Like if you, have you brought what you've learned in Core energetics into your comedy? Yeah.
1: Well, what it's allowed me to do is actually allowed me to, uh, bring up my dark side, like be uh. able to, uh, to be able to talk about that and own it, you know, to be able to, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm working on a bit right now talking about how supportive my parents are. Um, and, uh, like, you know, like calling my dad and saying, Hey, look, I I may be homeless if I don't come up with this thousand dollars. Um, and my dad being really supportive saying, I think it's going to be a really great experience to be homeless. (laughs) Yay, dad. Uh, you know, but, uh, no, I think to be able to own those places where before I would say, well, I'm sort of kidding that I'm angry. No, I'm angry. Um, uh-huh. Or I'm like, this is a part of me. I can be vulnerable and and share that stuff. And then it doesn't define all of me because I know it's not all of me.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Just give me the freedom to be honest, I guess, is really what it's done. Right. I think right. before there was still a little piece of I'm going to hold back. Uh-huh. Not going to fully let you know who I am. And now I'm more... Yeah, this is me.
0: And when you're teaching, when you're working with people, uh, facilitating workshops, what is your intention? Like, what are you holding in your mind? How is it that you're trying to help people?
1: When I hold a workshop, what I'm hoping is that people will walk away transformed in some way either having some kind of insight having an aha moment um healing something from the past like i don't have an expectation that this is how it has to look but i want i want to feel that uh what i've done has had some impact and that somehow i've made their load a little bit lighter Mm -hmm. um and Yeah. It's, it's like, I want to know that I have impact. And I think that was for a long time. I was embarrassed to say that, that like, I want to show up and be of service and Mm. it's not so that I can go, look, I helped six people. It's just, there's something about seeing another human being having gone through the pain that I've gone through and have somebody else say, Oh my God, that helped. That makes it a little less painful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: That like, like that feels like I'm paying it forward because I feel like I had so many angels or, uh, people just helping me along, even when, you know, I was unconscious about a lot of stuff and I had people just believing in me. Um, I had so many people doing that along the way. I kept going, I don't know why you guys are thinking I I have potential. Like, why are you helping me? Right. And so now I can look back and say, I want to help other people that haven't quite gotten there or need a little bit of a guide. Here's the lantern come this way.
0: Do you consider yourself Uh, as someone who's courageous? I do. Hmm.
1: I do. I wouldn't have said that before. I would never have said that before. Um, You know, I think to that first weekend when I was in school Mm -hmm. and you guys had that beautiful ceremony and of course you tied me up in a blindfold. Uh,
0: (laughs) I, I remember. I remember you like I was like, "Why is this guy? He's just in a blindfold." You were freaking out, <laughs> and, complete but, meltdown. Yeah, complete meltdown. I mean, it was beautiful because you were feeling, it, but I was, I didn't understand quite why it was Ugh. so intense. But yeah, that was that was a powerful ceremony. But yes, we that, had you in a blindfold,
1: and you know, we and we had to start walking up to people, and um, and and I walked up to Anne, and she said, "What have you come to teach me?" Mm. And I said, courage. Wow. You remember that? I remember that. That was, that weekend was so, that was like probably so transformational for me. That first week of school, Mm -hmm. Um, I went through so much. I went through so many altered states that I didn't even know existed. And um, I came out alive and I came out feeling held. And -hmm. I think that's what kept me coming back was because I trusted that I was going to be held in a safe space.
0: Courage. What, what, what is it about yourself that you feel is courageous? Like, or or how is your courage? uh, Have you demonstrated courage throughout your life?
1: For me, courage is stepping into the unknown. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you're not afraid. Doesn't mean you're not having doubts, but stepping up anyway and taking the risk not knowing the outcome, not knowing if people are going to resonate, not knowing if people are going to turn away from you. Um, Like that's incredibly scary. And for somebody, for me, who wanted to just stay hidden, I was amazingly good at being invisible. I could be in a room and be completely invisible, but I could connect with everybody and not actually connect with anybody. And uh, so that for me, that was courageous to keep going towards something Because I knew I wanted, deep down, I wanted to stay. Mm -hmm. And I needed more tools. Um, Mm. And so for me, that felt courageous because I could have just chosen to numb out, gone completely into alcohol, um, found a way to get myself in a situation to take me out, you know, take me out completely.
0: You say that you wanted to stay. And I know that's one of the things that Anne talks about is, as again, as children, we leave, we leave (laughs) ourselves. Yeah. And what she's trying to do is teach people to stay. Like if you stay here in this moment, in this situation, in this conflict and feel what's here, right. It's, I mean, it is scary, but yeah, the alternative is you leave, you disconnect, Mm -hmm. you disassociate. And so, yeah, what what was it in you that was like? Why did you want to stay? What what's what's driving you to be this c- courageous to take these to go up in front of a group of people and do stand up comedy? Because that, in some ways, like look like I want to be seen. I want to connect. Yeah, and I, yeah, and and yeah. Core, the core energetics too, right? Like to take because it's. A, I mean, I went through it. It's fucking insane. Yeah, it's 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 a crazy four year program. It just you know, weekend after weekend of complete fucking madness.
1: Yeah. Complete immersion.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I, I honestly can't, I mean, I've, and I've done some crazy shit, but that is really at the top of the list for me. Yeah. So what drives you? Yeah. What what is it?
1: I think deep down, I think I always believed that I wanted to have an impact and I Mm -hmm. didn't fully know that, but somehow I wanted to like, make the world a better place. I wanted to be part of that. Like I wanted to be part of, Hmm. um, I don't know if it was the healing of the planet. Maybe that's too esoterical, but there was something in me that I wanted to make an impact. Like I wanted to be known. I wanted to be seen. And I did not feel um, in my childhood, it was about just being accomplishments and being a, a prop uh so it could have been any prop it just happened to be me and so it didn't matter as long as i looked good in the picture and did the things i was supposed to do and accomplish these things and check the box i I felt like there was more and i yeah i really wanted to feel like i made a difference and i wanted to make people laugh i wanted to make people feel good um and for me, laughter is healing. So, you know, that's part of like, I want to heal the world. Um, and not the whole world. I don't want to take on the, like, I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm Gandhi or, or Mother Teresa. But um, yeah, I wanted to have this impact. And I couldn't figure out how to get my shit together right. um, internally. And so it, it was this battle. Do I stay or go? And ultimately I said, no, I want to stay. And hopefully be somebody that helps other people that can't decide if they want to stay or go um, to help them say, no, no, come on. It's worth it. It's worth it. Like, let me tell you some of the stuff that I, I didn't get told either. <laughs> like, right. And let's all figure this out because it's actually doable. It's doable. We just didn't get a lot of information.
0: Right. Because without going into the details, you had a, a painful childhood. I mean, like many of us, but yeah, there was trauma there and, and, and you weren't seen certainly. Yeah. And, um, and it's easy to succumb to, uh, resentment, resentment yeah. about life, which I'm sure you've felt at different times. How, how was it that you overcame that resentment or pain? Well,
1: you know, I think it's it's partly trust. Um, there was a part of me that trusted that that somehow it was gonna come together. Um and like I said, there are a lot of people that were just holding support for me and pushing me, nudging me uh towards
0: Why? Uh, do you think they saw something in you? I think
1: I I I think they saw something. At the time I'm like, why do you like, you know people say you're going in great places. And I'd go, I went to this college, I got a scholarship and they're like, we're so excited to have you here and we're expecting great things from you." I'm like, I'm just Bob, like, what are you talking about? You're expecting great things. Like, what do you, I don't know what you people are seeing. Like, Mm. right. And I couldn't see that for a long time. I actually, it's it's interesting. I took a leadership workshop um, uh, years ago and they didn't tell us that they were actually filming the workshop. Like they were secretly filming us in action. Wow. And so we knew we were filming parts of things, but they actually had hidden cameras and they filmed the whole thing. And I walked in there saying, I'm not a leader. Right. Um, but then we watched the film and here I'm, I'm like, no, 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 this is what we're going to do. And I'm like jumping up. I'm taking charge and in my group, we wanted to, we had to do this little fake commercial and we were like, Oh, let's just call it a day. And I was like, no, we're skipping lunch. We're going to fricking make this a quality thing. And, I and then I ended up at the end, I got voted on all, on some of these things for being like a solid leader, stuff like that. And I'm like, that is, I had such a different vision mm-hmm. of who I was. And that was so mind boggling for me to, to see that, oh, I actually was stepping up into leadership. Oh, I do take charge. Oh, I do show up. But I was pushing all that away and saying, no, I don't do any of that. Why? I think I was afraid of power uh, because power is often abused. I think my parents abused power. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, you know, for me, I just didn't want anything to do with power or responsibility. Um, And
0: and I wonder, I think about this, is that maybe we unconsciously avoid power because the part of us that is capable of being tyrannical is unconscious. And so we know that actually I may, I will be tyrannical with yeah. my power if I get it. I will be a fucking asshole mm-hmm. because my shadow is unintegrated. And maybe, uh, uh, you know, because you were able to go there, own your darkness, your hatred, yeah. you know, everything everything around that, that, that allowed you the space to trust yourself with this power and this this. And maybe also it's, if we haven't integrated our shadow we feel like some part of us is bad yeah. because we know we're judgmental. We know we have these thoughts that, that aren't good. And if I am in the light, if I'm all of who I am, people are going to see that. Yeah. And I'm going to be exposed and humiliated and I'm really just a, I'm a fraud. It's not true. And that to me is also one of the great gifts of the work. It's, it's no, this is a part of you. Your darkness is a part of you and you have to own it and and it and and then integrate it and then be mindful about it like not let it take over but if you think you're going to somehow rise above it or exercise that part of you in this lifetime that that's naive like you you have to learn to be with it yeah
1: yeah and you have to be able to name it
0: right you've got to name it
1: so what's interesting for me is in a couple of different situations as i was getting more comfortable still not completely comfortable. I was doing this workshop, 90 people. They divided us in three groups and each group of 30 had to do this presentation and this whole thing. And my group, we all get together and we had to decide who was gonna lead and all this stuff. And everybody goes, Bob, you're leading the group. And I'm like, what? I'm not leading the group, I'm terrified. What are you talking about? And besides I'm a control freak and I'm very OCD. And, and when somebody looked at me and said, who said that's bad?
0: Right. Right.
1: We know you're a control freak. We know you're OCD. That's why you're going to lead us. Yeah. And I went, so like being able to name that and then have everybody go, yeah, yeah, we know. (laughs) Like we know that about you. Oh. And so I think being able to name that, even with my family, unfortunately when my, my cousin was in an accident, we had to decide whether or not to like let him go, you know, and my family's like, you have to make the decision. And I said, I don't, like, I can't do that. And I can't lead this whole family because I'm bossy and I'm this and I'm that. And they were all like, yeah, go be bossy. Wow. <laughs> like, and so then at least I was checking in saying, look, I can get a little crazy with my power. Is this what you want so that we can renegotiate? Or if I'm getting crazy with my power, wave a flag at me and go, Bob, knock it off. Like, mm. and 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 call me, hold me accountable. So right. being able to name it, was really important for me to then find out everybody was on the same page.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And it's really vulnerable to be a leader because everybody's looking at you, everybody uh, sees you, everybody's projecting things onto you when you're the leader. And oftentimes, well, it can go both ways. It can be positive and negative transference. People are like, oh my God, Bob, you're the best. Oh, and in yeah. that sense, they're not seeing you. you're like, yeah, no, I'm good, but uh, you know. yeah. And then also like, you know, Bob, you're a total fuck up. You never do anything right. Uh, They can project all that stuff on you. That's a lot to hold. How do you think about, I mean, and that's something you have to do as a facilitator, as a, as a therapist, you're holding people's projections. And I guess you're doing that as a, as a comic in some way too. How is that for you to, to, how do you think about that?
1: Well, I'm okay with it now. It was terrifying in the beginning for sure all of a sudden like, why, do we, you know, why are they putting all yeah. this on me? But as I got to understand it, uh, there were a couple of situations. And I remember, um, and said to me, Hey, when you start doing this particular thing, just know this person's going to be coming at you. Right. <laughs> uh, so don't take it personal. So then when it started happening, I was like, Oh my God, I see it. I see it. Yeah. So once I could make it not personal, right. which sometimes is hard, I will admit sometimes it's hard not to take it personal. Um, uh, but as I was able to really see that it was really not me and that I, it was what I represented. Yes. It was much easier to actually find a little, uh, humor in it. Like yeah. for me, I'm like, this is funny. This is so by the book. Um, you know, that even when they would throw their stuff at me, I could, I could just humorously have a conversation back. Cause I wasn't charged.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, which probably made him even more angry, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, I, I so I'm okay with it I'm comfortable with it now
0: Well it's almost becomes a superpower once you master it because if you can learn to not take people's I mean, people are projecting all the time all the time and, and some by, by the way sometimes their projections they're accurate <laughs> for sure it's, it's not that it doesn't mean they're not right but they're yeah. the, 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 the charge around it indicates that there's something there for them that's unresolved some some feeling that something they don't want to feel. But w- this is the gift that this work has given me. Also being an actor, because of course you get projected on all the time as an actor. But when you stop taking things personally, I mean, life is so much easier when people are coming at you with their stuff. You're just like, well, this doesn't ha- actually have anything to do with me. Yeah. This is- and, and, and I don't need to get defend- defensive. And I can stay with them there and hold that. And it does something very powerfully uh, when you stay with them in the place where they're screaming at you and you're essentially non-reactive, non-reactive, but also welcoming it. It's like, okay, I hear you. You think I'm a Nazi? I hear you. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then there's nowhere for them to go except to feel what's inside them.
1: Exactly. And. You know, there've been a couple of times where in the past I would have taken it personal, right? And mm-hmm. now I can stop and say, "Wait a minute, this isn't this isn't mine." So I remember a situation with a family member; they're just dumping on me, mm-hmm. uh, and I stopped for a second and I just I just looked at them and I said, "What do you need?" Right? Like, what do you need? Because I knew and and they like what? I'm like, what do, what do you need in this moment? I'm I feel you want something from me. And they said, well, you've stopped playing the family negotiator. And it sucks because everybody else is now having to refigure out how, how to do things. Right. And, and I want you to take your roles back. And I said, mm. I won't do it. Mm. You know, and I'm sorry that you're having to feel all this. Yeah. I'm not going to go back to that. It didn't feel good for me. And I don't want to be the family problem solver. Mm. And they had to feel it. And it was powerful for me to realize I was done with that and I didn't have to take it on. I could still love them, hear them, feel their pain and say, yeah, I don't want to go back into that toxic stuff. I just don't.
0: Right. Right. I guess that's also one of the things that happens when you begin to heal yourself and understand yourself in deeper ways. You realize all the un- these unspoken contracts you have with people, especially your family. Yeah. And that part of change is you you have to break those contracts that that yeah, aren't break. working that are that are you know maybe twisted and bound or or there's a meshment there that's unconscious and that that can also often cause a lot of yeah pain and grief and you can feel like you're the bad guy mm-hmm. in that situation so it it sounds like you had to go through that with your family intensely
1: yes Oh, and I was the bad guy for a while. Ah, oh, Bob's so self-centered. He's so selfish. He wants to do what he wants to do instead of what's best for all of us. You know?
0: Is there anyone in your family that sees you, that gets you?
1: Yeah, I actually, I think my siblings, uh, most of my siblings now really see me and we all have really great relationships. Uh, the rest of the family, you know, a couple of them think I'm holier than thou and think I just have it all together, which I don't mm-hmm. um it's just that i'm much better at self-advocacy and setting stronger healthy boundaries
0: is it painful not to be seen by your family or are you yeah the i, I mean
1: it? it is a little bit i'm okay i mean i'm comfortable with it i mm-hmm. i don't sure there's a sadness there's a longing that it mm-hmm. could be different and i also accept that they have the tools that they have right and i could want till the end of the days for them to change and see it differently. And they're not. And so it's also about accepting and just saying, wow, this is the way it is. There's a little pain there. There's a little sadness there and you know, it could be worse.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It could be worse. Yeah. Accepting, accepting things as they are. How are you doing with everything that's going on in the world right now? Speaking of accepting things as they are, because obviously there's a lot of division and uncertainty and a lot of chaos and anger and vitriol. And we all, I think, have opinions about it or thoughts about it. But uh, I I think we can all agree on one thing. It's fucking crazy.
1: It's crazy. It's crazy. I've been fortunate because through the pandemic, I was considered essential. So I got to go to work every day. Really? Uh, Yeah, I got to work every day.
0: Well, you came into the office and worked? Came into the
1: office. We had everybody wore masks. We all had separate offices. We just kept our doors closed Mm -hmm. and uh, we were able to keep working. So for me, I never actually, actually worked more than I did before the pandemic. Um, So for that part, I wasn't like everybody else getting to stay home for hours in isolation, um, which helped, I think, keep sanity. Um, but it's, it's been frustrating not being able to go out and connect with people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I certainly miss getting to do workshops live. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we were part of an amazing group that sort of had to stop like all those things. I missed all of that. Um, you know, I get, I, I get frustrated with all the rules because I don't know that they're always done with the best uh, information or with the best intentions. I think sometimes it's politicized. Um, I don't know what the right answers are. You know, if they're putting little micro cameras in my arm through the vaccination, fine, have a good time. You'll be bored out of your mind. Uh, Besides just check, check my cell phone if you want to track me, but uh, you know, so I don't, but I also appreciate, you know, we've done some damage with vaccinating groups of people in our, in our country that I understand their hesitation or the right to be able to choose or not. And so I, I can sort of see all the different aspects and sort of, eh, I sort of agree with that. Right. Um You know, I, yeah, I want everybody to be safe. I don't want everybody, you know, dying from the plague. Um, and then I also want to be able to like exercise some freedom and exercise mm-hmm. some of my own judgment. Um, so it's, yeah, it's been crazy. I think this is the best way to describe it. It's just been an insane roller coaster ride.
0: Do you have any sense of what's going on underneath the surface? I mean, one of the things we talk about in, in this work is there's the story level of what's happening and we're trying to get people underneath the story. Cause we, we can stay very attached to the narrative cause that's where it feels safe. And, but often the narrative is, is Yeah, it's just, it's just a story. And underneath there's all kinds of feelings and emotions and things that are unresolved. And we're trying to take people in, into that aspect of themselves. And I'm just wondering when you look at the world right now, what do you think is going on underneath the story of things?
1: I think there's a lot of fear out there. I think there's a lot of fear and I think a lot of people, uh, are trying to grab at power positions so that they get to be the deciding uh, factor. And so whether it's the left or the right or the middle or whatever, I think everybody's like, I've got to be in power because I know I have the right perspective. And if I don't get in there and give the right perspective, the world's going to fall apart. And everybody's coming from that same belief just with a different angle on how to fix it. And so I, I think it's a lot of fear, um, and people are just like, no, no, I know better. Or people feel like they're losing their power or more people feel like they're get, getting their power. I, I, I just think there's a lot of extreme fear out there. And control is a way to, I don't have to feel my fear if I've got everything controlled. right? If I follow these rules.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly what, what I see, the world is changing. The world is always changing. It and, is always and we changing. We know that we go through these cycles. If you read the for, the fourth turning and these 80 year cycles and there's these 250 year cycles and, and that we're, we are in some kind of revolutionary moment and, mm-hmm. and I don't think you can see it in real time. I think we look right. back and we'll see, Oh, this was some kind of uh, revolution and everything that's happening with technology and bitcoin and i mean it's manifesting in all kinds of different ways yeah. nobody has a nobody knows where the fuck this is all going <laughs> i mean not knows. elon musk none of these fucking guys have any idea they no have, idea you know because you can't no so it's fucking terrifying like we're, yeah. we're part cyborg now i mean i'm connected to my phone 24 7. i can feel how it's changed my fucking brain yeah. And I understand people's hesitancy about the, the vaccines. Like, what the fuck is this technology? You're injecting it into me. I mean, they've seen all these sci-fi movies about this stuff, but they, they don't know it. Maybe it's irrational. Maybe it's not. Who the fuck knows? Who right? knows? Like Who knows? It's, it's madness. And it's, you know, and again, it gets, it gets projected out into the story of things, yeah. but underneath the fear is real. Yeah. And yeah. And when, when, when fear, it takes us over, we want to control. Yeah. And that's what I see happening. And so, you know, the work that I'm doing with people right now and and for myself is just be with the fear. Yeah. Like, can you just sit in the fear in the place where I'm afraid and just be with it? And because it opens up a space if you can, and and it, it ultimately will turn to excitement and possibility. Yeah. And if you can hold that Space inside yourself, which is not fucking easy. And I don't do it perfectly every day. I mean, I get, and my stuff gets activated. I get triggered by the chaos in the world because that's how it was in my childhood. So I regress back to being four and I want to retreat or I want to lash out. I mean, I'm going through all that stuff. But then if I could just find my center and breathe and just like, okay, just be with the fear. You can handle it. It's okay. And then it doesn't take long. And I guess I'm I'm saying this to all the people out there listening. It does, it. You can do this, and it. This is another fucking superpower. If yeah. you can manage your fear, I'm yeah. using a sweat lodge, dude. Last Wednesday, it, and it was so packed. Ugh. It was so fucking hot. I mean, and I'm claustrophobic, and I've done a uh, lot uh, of lodges. I do those,
1: but yeah,
0: uh, it was a new lodge, and I'm like shoulder to shoulder. There's somebody literally sitting in my lap. It's hot as fuck, and I started to panic. I gotta get the fuck out of here. I gotta get the fuck out of here. you know, my mind just yeah. starts to go. and uh, and then I just brought my breathing down into my heart and just stayed with myself and 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 then I got through it. And, but the feeling of being able to get through that moment, and of course, it was irrational. like I was fine. I wasn't going to die. Nothing bad was gonna happen. I can sit there for an hour or two you know, and the heat, yeah, it's, heat, it's hot for a moment or two, a minute or two, and then they open the door and it's going to be fine. You know, so to get over that, like to master your brain's tendency to panic or to succumb to the fear, it's, it's so powerful. And so I, that's what I'm trying to take from all of this. And so you're, you're, uh, uh you know, you, you're, you're assessment that that is actually what's going on feels very accurate. And so I guess for me, yeah, it's like, that's what I'm trying to teach people like learn to be with your fear, just learn to be and sit with your fear.
1: Yeah. And I, I think the other piece to it for me is, um, and I've noticed this just from traveling to developing countries and stuff, uh, other places, I think people want to be in connection and we don't know how. Right. And I think all of us long to be in connection. We all long to be in community. We long to be with our tribe. And we don't know how, and, Mm. and so that's scary. That's very, Oh, do I let this person in? Are they going to go against me? Uh, How do I be in connection and still navigate my fear?
0: Right, right. That's the other thing you're right is, is connection. That was something that I realized when I started doing my workshops and, and I was doing weekly groups and I had this Tuesday night group and Every group, every week felt like suffering. Yeah. And I was like, why are these fucking people keep coming back? And I was learning. I was like, maybe it's me. I'm doing something wrong. I, I didn't know what was going on, but it, it didn't seem pleasant for these people. Yeah. But they kept coming back and they would sign up for another round. And, and I finally realized, oh, they're just coming to be together. Yeah. They're coming for the community. And once I realized that, it changed my whole perspective. It's like two create spaces for people to come together and to be in community and to connect. It's so valuable and even more valuable right now because we're, we're so alienated and disconnected. So that longing for connection, which is something that I think I stifled in myself. I mean, I'm kind of a lone wolf kind of dude, Yeah, but um, it's, it's just even vulnerable for me to say, it's like, yeah, I want, Connection. I, I need connection. I need other people. I want to be around other people. It's vulnerable. It's totally vulnerable. And against, like, inside of me, I'm like,
1: I don't need anybody.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I won't need
1: anybody. I won't need any connection. And yet inside, I really want it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But it's risky. It's risky.
0: It is risky. It feels yeah.
1: risky. Feels risky.
0: Yeah. So what's like what's the future for you? What, what, what are you, do you have plans? What are you, what are you doing right now?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I think right now what I'm, you know, I brought in a business partner for my accounting business and uh, so I could work less <laughs> um, or actually work more on the things that uh, I want to work on. I, you know, I'm doing this. Um, I've got this podcast out. i um, just talking about money and beliefs,
0: funny which, money. You know,
1: Uh, uh, money you should
0: ask money. Oh, money. You should ask. I had funny
1: money and money. You should ask, which, which you were on, uh, -hmm. which was awesome. Um, you know, that's been really helpful for people to hear other people's stories because it's amazing how much shame and isolation people have around money. And so for me, I never thought that I would use humor and money as my way into, uh, reaching out to people, but it's been a great doorway uh, using money because it comes with boundaries, parents, relationship, Mm self-worth, all these things that people think, Oh, we're just going to talk about money. Yeah, maybe. Right. Um, so I, I want to keep doing the workshops. I I'm doing the podcast. Uh, I really just want people to start to get more comfortable with themselves and actually allow themselves to, uh, if they want it to, 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 to go down the path of the, you know, the best version of themselves, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you have to be the richest person. I'm not trying to make everybody multimillionaires. I'm trying to get people to be actually comfortable with what they have and who they are. Um, so they can say, yeah, I'm grateful. I've got enough. I'm abundant. Um, and I see all the good in life. Cause I think especially in the U S we're so busy trying to see what we don't have. And I got to get more of that. I got to run over here and, and we're just scrambling to get all this stuff that actually doesn't mean anything. And so for me, the workshops and the work that I'm doing is is hopefully letting people have space to just be themselves.
0: What do you think are people's distortions around money? What is like the most common thing that you see?
1: Well, I think in men uh, more so is that uh, my self-worth is equal to my net worth. Right. Um, You know, I knew for me that if I didn't have certain accomplishments checked off, I had no value. I had nothing to bring to the table. Right. Um, I don't believe that anymore, but it does creep in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's not completely gone. Um, And I think for a lot of people, uh, money is a substitute for love.
0: Say more about that. Well,
1: um, if you behave a certain way, I'll give you money. Mm Um, you can get a trip, you can take a vacation. Um, if you, you know, my grandparents, Hey, if you, we'll give you money, if you like us better than the other grandparents, we're like, we love you.
0: Wow. (laughs)
1: Right. So that was, they were buying, buying love. And uh, people do that with wills, you know, I'm going to withhold, like I have, have clients that have been disinherited so they can be taught a lesson. Um, right. So we use money as power, um, and often not very nicely. Um, so I think there's a lot of people get confused between love and money. And I think that's why a lot of people that uh, at least some of my friends that, uh, you know, have pretty high celebrity status, they can't always trust people like them for them. Right. Oh, Oh, I'm trying to get something, you know? Um, and, and so they have to be guarded they, they, because they're vulnerable mm-hmm. um, and that's real, but, but money, I think, messes with people in that uh, we think somehow more money makes us a better person and it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when people have more money, it just amplifies who we really are (laughs) We're Mm -hmm. either either more of an asshole or we're more of a good person. Um, But money is an energy that, that uh, it gets tricky. People get so triggered around it. I deal with that with estates a lot. And uh, families go crazy, go crazy.
0: Money is an energy. Yeah. What, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, money's neutral, right? Money is just, money's not good or bad. Uh-huh. Um, but money flows. It flow We let it flow in. We let it flow out. Some people don't let it flow in um, and other people, as soon as it flows in, we got to get it out. We got to get it out. So for me, money's an energy that moves around with us. It, you know, ebbs and flows. And if we can be comfortable with letting it come in, bring in lots of its friends, go back out and do great things, come back in. But a lot of people, oh, it's money or I got to hold on to every penny, right? And then they mm-hmm. hoard. Well, if I'm hoarding every dollar, there's not a give and take, right? It's a, it's an imbalance of, of energy.
0: So do you, do you work with, I mean, you do work with people uh, around money specifically. And yeah. I guess- there are practical things people need to learn about money, how to save, where to invest and th- all of that. Yeah. But but it it sounds like or or uh, you know supposing that it's it's really more your relationship with money that that's that's the driving force. Yeah. That's the thing you want to understand. And so if you're struggling to make money or you're you're struggling your relationship with money, like what what is going on there for you? psychologically, what is your relationship with the money? What do you, what are your belief systems? What are the distortions that you have there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I can tell you, I've got a couple of clients that are, you know, 60, 70, $80 million in the bank. And I can see they're constantly doing things so that everybody will like them. Right. Mm. Let me do this. Let me throw a party. Let me do this. Hey, do you need, and just constantly, how can I, how can I show you that I'm a good person? Um, so it doesn't matter how many dollars you have. Uh, It's the relationship. And so I've seen people take themselves out because I've had situations where there was a death in the family or a suicide and a family member's like, it's my fault. I will never have pleasure again. I will deny myself for the rest of my life. Right. And so there's forgiveness and there's all these pieces. Um, For me, I'm always working with the emotional part but I also have the practical component so I can show somebody how to have a budget. And we mm-hmm. actually do this thing I call honest budgeting because a lot of people will do a budget and then leave out all the things they don't want anybody to know about, like mm-hmm. my my drug addiction or my right. my shoe uh, addiction or whatever it is. And I'll say to people, look, you know, if you're doing drugs, uh, how much do you spend in a month? Because I just need to figure out if it's going to balance out. Like, right. What? what? I like, I just need to know. I don't care. I like, I hope they're good drugs, but like, what are you paying for them? Let's get it in the budget. And then that sometimes for people will say, well, I don't really want that in the budget. Maybe I right. should stop doing drugs. Well, right. I'm not saying you don't have to do them or don't, you know, whatever. I'm just trying to like, let's figure things out. And so I try to really create a safe space to actually be honest about what's going on for them around their money instead of just, well, this is, because what used to happen is I'd tell clients, this is what you need to do. And they'd go out and do something opposite.
0: Hmm. Like, what, are
1: you, what are you doing? And until I understood that, oh, they're they're working from their emotions, it doesn't matter what the facts are. Um, so I needed to get in and understand them so that I could try and find a way to get them to see that they weren't maybe acting rationally.
0: Hmm. I would imagine, too, that a lot of people have shame. Tons around of shame. the relationship with money. I feel that in me. There's yeah. some as you as you were saying all that stuff. I was trying to feel into my relationship with money, and suddenly I felt this sense of shame. And it's it's it, it, it's not really conditional on whether or not I'm making money. I mean, if I'm making if I'm not making money, I feel shame. But even if I'm making money, there's some kind of shame because I come from a family that doesn't have a lot of money. Right. And then now I'm separated from them, and I feel conflict there. It's a lot to hold. Like I I actually, I I know that, you know, people who make money, they're not, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a good person, but there is something that they're able to hold. That is interesting. Yeah. Um,
1: That they deserve it.
0: Right. Is that it? (laughs) They believe they deserve it. They
1: believe they deserve it.
0: Or, or is it, that are, 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 are some, do some people make money out of fear? Like they're so afraid to not have it. They're not going to survive. They make money. It's motivated by fear.
1: For sure. The motivation can be completely different. And I, and I think fear is a big motivation. I, I got to have a safety net. Right. Um, But I think, you know, if you look at, um, I mean, but you still Brown, have to believe
0: you deserve it.
1: Yeah. Brene Brown right. talks about this in people that are worthy and not worthy is the difference was that people that, uh, were happy, felt that they deserved what they had. Um, mm. and, and so it's an interesting piece on her uh, vulnerability Ted talk. Um, but it, it is that where people just, yeah, no, I'm in time. I'm, yeah, I deserve to make lots of money. I have no shame about that. Now, whether it's because of fear or because they want to impress people or right. what, what all the other things are, but there is a deep belief of, yeah, I, there's no reason why money shouldn't be in my bank account.
0: So that, that would be the number one, factor for you is the belief if people if people are listening out there and they're struggling with money and they want to know uh how to make more money Mm uh the first thing to address is do you believe that you deserve it do you believe you deserve to make a lot of money to have a lot of money and to be really honest about that and it's it's, sometimes it's hard to get honest about it because of course the initial answer is yeah i believe i deserve it but if you dig a little bit deeper and you realize you don't, then you have to ask yourself the question, why? And that's a, that's a harder question to answer because then that takes you into some, some deep stuff potentially.
1: Yeah. I I mean, recently I started asking the question of people, does money love you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, It's a great question. Yeah. Does money love me? No, money is, right. money hates me. Like that's my initial reaction. Yeah. Not, why do I, why would I believe that money does It's, as you said, it's neutral. Yeah. Right, so I should just choose to believe that money loves me. Money
1: loves me. Yeah.
0: Wow. Let, let it love you. Let it wow. love you. That's a great fucking question. <laughs> yeah. Why do people believe they don't deserve to have money?
1: Well, you know, it starts when we're young four, five, six. And I I see this, I see this now all the time, but you know, a four-year-old says, mommy, I want a bike. You greedy little shit. Right. You think you should have everything anytime you want it. You're worthless. Oh, okay. I won't ask anymore. Right. Um, So there's that instead of having a conversation of, well, you can't have it this time. We got to save, we got to pay the rent. Like Mm -hmm. we don't have conversations. We just shame people. Um, Or somebody loses their milk money you're the stupidest kid ever. Right. You always lose things. You're so stupid. I don't, you're never going to make it anywhere. Right? right. And then we go, Oh, I'm stupid. Okay. Mom and dad know best. I'm stupid. And so then we take these at four five and six and go out into the world going, I'm stupid. I'm greedy. I'm selfish. I don't deserve anything. I'm just going to stay hidden.
0: Right. Right. I grew up, my mom was, Single mother, so we didn't have a lot of money. She was working as a waitress, and and eventually she started teaching and making more money. And then she remarried, and we moved into a house and lived a, pretty much a middle class life. But all during that time, uh, we spent a lot of time with her sister's family, my first cousins, and they had a lot of money. And so I grew up with this belief that we were less than them, right? In part because of the money, in part because my mother was divorced and their family was together. So I like, I, even to this day, I can feel that the resonance of, of that, uh, belief, belief yeah. that I'm separate. I'm less than, I don't get to have it. Those people are better than me. There's something like, this is my class. Like this is right. where I am, which you can really see when somebody breaks out of whatever class they're in, in society. And we live in a class of society, whether we want to admit it or not. Right. Um, how hard that is psychologically, like that's really the thing they're breaking out of because they can have all the talent, but to really sustain success with that talent and, uh, be able to, uh, yeah, accumulate and do good things with their money. It's, it's a real, it's a whole identity. Like you're changing your identity, you're changing. You have to change your sense of who you are, how you think about yourself and how you relate to the world. And then people around you, I mean, and this, I know this from having been successful as an actor and making money, people around you change. Yeah. And that's scary. And so there's a way that you diminish yourself or you pick up the tab, you do all these, I did all these weird things. Yeah to try to make them feel more comfortable. And I didn't even, that might've been my own projection. There was all kinds of stuff going on there. It's so interesting.
1: And you can't change the other people, how they're going to react to you. You you don't get to tell them, no, don't feel that or don't make that judgment. Um, And you, when somebody goes to high success, I mean, some people are going to be left behind. I used to think, I have to bring everybody with me. I have to, everybody has to come along. No, they don't. They don't your journey's your journey. Everybody else is on theirs. They may come with you, they may not. But it's not it's not a given, which was very hard for me to No, 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 I want to I, I don't want anything to change, but it changes.
0: I feel that deeply right now as you're talking. There's just some grief. Yeah. about leaving people behind. It's much grief. Coming out to Texas. Mm-hmm. I had to leave a whole community behind. Yeah. And I love those people and I'm not, I'm not leaving them behind, but, but in some sense I am, I'm, I'm, and it's, it's hard and it's yeah. scary and I can feel here. Like the, the, it's a whole different resonance. It's a whole different community that I'm connected to and it feels good. And something pulled me out here as something is pulling a lot of people out here Yeah, um, and I'm excited and optimistic and uh, feel energized. And as you were talking, I could feel that, that grief, The uh, I have a hard time. I don't want to let go of people. I don't want to <laughs> let go, you know, it was fun. We had so much fun. Well, we're never going to have that again, never again. I had that, you know, like the, I remember when I left Tete's place, yeah. I lived with that fucking guy for two years Yeah, and it was so fun. And I knew it couldn't be forever. You know, I was living with a, a Chapebo maestro, you know, an ayahuasquero, cuindero, and just the, one of the most interesting humans I've ever met professional musician. I mean, just, it, the just music all the time and conversations and his perspective on life was so fascinating. And I remember when I left, just like, I'm never, this is over. It's yeah. done. Yeah. And the sadness around, that, I'm still, you know, I talk to him every week, but, but that time, that moment is gone. And I guess as you get older, I don't know if you feel this, you know, now I'm 52 is like, you really feel like that's gone. Yeah. Like that's never coming back. Yeah. Like I'm never going to have that experience again. And, uh, and to, I don't know, just to come to terms with it and to reconcile to that. It's painful. I mean, it's beautiful, but just to let it be what it is. That's probably my, I guess when I'm thinking about all this stuff with money, it's like, yeah, just, just to let go.
1: Yeah. And I, I think as we get older, uh, well, I'll speak for myself. I look at some of the places where I spent so much energy that was just wasted. Right. And I go, yeah, wow. I wished I, I, yeah, you know what have, could have, should have, but I, there's a little bit of sadness there of, I put a lot of energy into some stuff that just really didn't matter. Mm. And you know, I'm still grateful to be here. I'm grateful for the growth. I'm grateful for the trial by fire. Um, and I can't really have regret regret
0: mm-hmm. because I didn't
1: know any better.
0: You didn't know um, any better.
1: Didn't yeah. know any better, so I don't. I I so I don't hold myself like, oh, you're terrible. But I can look at some of that stuff and go, man, I wish I'd had a few more tools a little bit earlier. Right. That would have been cool. Um, and I'm glad that I got them now.
0: Now that you have these tools and you've lived a lot of life and had a lot of experiences and and a lot of success, do you have a, a philosophy that you live by? Is there is there something that you'd want to share with people listening, younger people? Like you must, people must come to you for advice all the time about things. And, and what do you, what do you tell them?
1: I, you know, so I tell them a couple things. I, I tell people to uh, look for gratitude, like really actually see all that you have, because in all my travels, I see how much more we have than other people that we just oh my God, my my water's cold. Oh my God, my coffee's not, like I, I, I've I met people that are lucky to take a bath once a week. And by bath, I mean a bucket of water with a rag mm-hmm. in cold water. So mm-hmm. I really say to people like find find the gratitude, see the abundance of everything you have because we have so much. We have so much. And I th- and the biggest thing is to stop, like don't give up on dreams, don't give up on on goals and things like that but be aware of what you're, what's with you right now, the people you're with, don't take them for granted. Don't take the moment for granted. And I think for a while, I was so busy running towards that thing, that goal, that I missed some people along the way that were right there the whole time. And so I would just say to people like, just don't take any of that for granted. Mm -hmm. Um, um, is not promised, uh, which is, um, and I think it's Nikki Angel that has a, has a watch that reminds her a few times throughout the day that this could be her last day, mm. right. To remind yeah. her that life is precious. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I also just say, uh, stay curious, stay mm-hmm. curious with yourself and with other people. Don't take it personal. Wow. That's so interesting wow, that's so interesting. I get really triggered about this. Or wow, that's so interesting. You get really triggered about me. Um, instead of you're wrong, you don't see me, uh, like to just learn to stay in difficult conversations because I think we don't, we've lost that art. Yeah. Um, learning how to stay and learning how to be present and not take ourselves out.
0: Bob Wheeler. (laughs) Dave Sackliff! <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you for sharing uh, yourself, sharing your wisdom, sharing your story. Absolutely, it's an amazing story, it really is. I, I, you know, I hadn't really thought about it. I mean, I, I knew, but you know, I was getting ready to interview you and thinking about you. This guy's a fucking an accountant, a stand-up comedian, and a radical liveness corner genetics practitioner. That's wow. That's really fucking interesting. That's a lot, and CFO of the world famous comedy story. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Well, that's the other thing. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know you're CFO. Yeah. 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 I've been there a while. Um, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I knew you, I knew, I didn't realize CFO. I knew you, you worked, uh, down there. That's amazing. Yeah. And so you are having an impact.
1: I hope so. I hope so.
0: You seem like you have matured into, uh, an acceptance of, who you are and your, your wisdom, like, you know, like, you know, things, yeah. you've learned things and you've learned the hard way in some cases, or you've done the work necessary to learn. And you were born with gifts, obviously, but, uh, it just seems like you're at a place where you, you, you're, you know, you seem grounded and confident yeah. and comfortable and that's, that's got to feel really good.
1: It does. It feels good. And, and actually you've been part of the journey. You've been part of the process. Um, thinking, uh, Joshua tree, a lot of things, um, yeah, yeah, a lot of things. So I appreciate that as well. And, uh, yeah, it feels, it does feel good. It feels good to not need to keep running and and actually feel grounded.
0: It's inspiring your, your success, uh, uh, in the, in the, out in the world and inside yourself is yeah. it's, it's an inspiration. So, especially, you know, like I said, seeing you in that Tennessee orange <laughs> shirt, terror in your eyes. Total. And here you are all, you know, I don't know when that was 10 years ago at least, but yeah, it's and amazing. Here we are. Yeah, here we amazing.
1: are. Here we are. Thanks, awesome. Bob. Thank you, sir.